So today we have Edgar Sherman from Edgar Sherman Designs. He's um, better at designing stuff than naming his company. Edgar, welcome uh, to the show. Well, thank you. Is it a show? Yeah, I, it's I recurring. Just about to ask <laughs> we were starting. It's recurring, so it's got to be a show what, now. What should we do? What do you mean? Talk. That's what we do every week. <laughs> Edgar Sherman Designs. That's the name of the company, correct? Yeah. ESD. ESD. All right. My damn acronym. Um, when did you get out of Massachusetts? So once I graduated college, honestly, because then I moved to Derry for a year, um, and that was cool. I basically ran the shop out of uh, my buddy's basement and then uh, moved to Nashua last year and um, was working in my townhouse on the third floor and then recently got a shop over uh, in Nashua too, which is a nice big facility and been there for six months now, I think. Nice. So, well, how long have we known one another? Um, let's see. Ivan introduced us together, I think, and that was when I was in college, so it's been at least three years. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was going to say I thought you were in college yep. in Mass. Yeah, because I, I remember uh, Ivan's like, hey, I'm going to Q. Do you want to come? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> And I'm like, mm-hmm. I got to text my professors. I'm skipping school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's worth it. Yeah, <laughs> worth it. Totally worth it. Yeah. So, man, I know with it, starting advanced armament, it's kind of the same process. Out of my house, in the back of a shop, I have 300 square feet. Yep. Did most of the work in my basement. Have my buddies come over at night and give them beer and pizza. And we play movies and assemble silencers in the living room. 100%. Yeah. It's, those are good times, man. Don't. I don't know. Stay, stay in the moment. That's my experience from this or my advice because yeah, it's always, you're trying to get to that next level, but man, those times were some of the best times I had in my career. That's, it's, it's fun times because it's scary. Like you transitioning now to yeah, having a shop and then employees and things like this, it becomes a real business. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, um, so what all do you do? What does ESD Edgar Sherman Designs. What do you do? So we're probably known, or I'm probably known for the sling. That's definitely the main thing. But the goal for the company is to basically uh, be a problem-solving company. Yeah. And that uh, there's a lot of issues that I see with military equipment um, or for law enforcement and such. And uh, a lot of those problems come in that you not people aren't using human-centered design for a lot of things. And uh, there's a lot of issues with just equipment out there, and I want to try to solve those problems. And what, what's human-centered design? He, he, he went to school for industrial design. <laughs> yes, yeah. I went to school for industrial design. Human-centered design is basically uh, the concept of adapting um, equipment or designs Make around Make it feel people. good, Adam. Feel yeah. good. Make, oh, ergonomics. Yes, ergonomics, making things adapt to people. Um, yeah. One of the first things I noticed specifically with the sling is that uh, a lot of people are always trying to figure out how to use whatever sling they have. And it's always like, hey, yeah, I got to learn how to use this equipment. And to me, yeah. it's, it's failed. If you're handing someone a product, whether it's a rifle or, I don't know, your iPhone, whatever it could be, and they're like, I don't know how to use this. I got to learn how to use this. I got to go to YouTube. I got to figure things out. Um, yeah. It's not very intuitive in that sense. And mm-hmm. so one thing that I want to try to do is just make it so people don't have to think about their equipment, that they can just use it and it flows with them and it works with them and they're not fighting it. You know, you know thinking... Along those lines, this week I had a chance to shoot that new, uh, is it Lago Arms, Lago, to make that oh, alien yeah, pistol? Oh, yeah, yep. yeah. So I shot that, and uh, it's cool. I like it. 
I, I see they're selling online for like $10,000. I'm not so sure it's $10,000, but it's pretty cool. It's interesting. But um, right away, I noticed all of the aesthetics and all of like the industrial design aspects of it. And when, when I grabbed it and uh, gripped it, it reminded me instantly of a new cordless drill that I've got. And in a good way that, you know, they spend, and it's a, I forget what brand it is, but you can tell they spent a lot of time and effort and energy on ergonomics, like the, yeah. the company did that made the drill. And that's what the, the alien felt like to me. It's like they made it to fit a human hand. Yep. You know, they put a lot of effort into it. And, and there's a lot of guns that don't feel that way. Like what, whatever. A lot of times like uh, double stack 1911s or something, they just ergonomically don't feel correct. And uh, I, I was thinking about that and from an industrial design standpoint, because when I grabbed it, I thought right away to like the drill that I just bought. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, they really paid attention to making it comfortable in the hand. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. It's it's funny that you point that out too, because it's something that you noticed because it was good design, but typically yeah. good design's invisible and it's you notice bad design. That's and then correct. Because you're so used to all this bad design out there, you're like, Oh, this doesn't fit my hands, mm -hmm. this is a pain in the ass, I don't like this, this doesn't grip right. Uh and then you find something that's good and you're like, Oh my god, yep. why haven't I had this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean the best things I think I, I've tried to say, uh, well, many things before, but one thing for me with customer service is the best customer service is delivering you the best product where you don't ever have to call me yeah. like that. That's the best customer service, the best product, not that we're good at fixing it if something goes wrong. Um, so yeah, I, th I think in, uh, along those lines a lot. I mean, I know, you know, with the honey badger, uh, ergonomics were something, but also just the aesthetics. Like I've said oh, before, yeah. the most difficult thing with this honey badger was picking out the plastic colors to where it didn't clash. And it seems like ridiculous it would do that because we clear anodize it intentionally, not that dye because it's the right thing. But when it comes to the plastic components, well, they got to be a color and it still should, you know, things should be ergonomic, but they said there's no reason for something not to look aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. I, you always hear form follows function, but to yeah. me, it's a balance of the two. It's never one or the other. It should be a flow together. And that's when you see the best design. So yeah, aesthetics are huge. I mean, I know so many guys who are literally like, I won't use that if it doesn't look cool. Yeah, that's me. We talked this about that on, the, on one of the podcasts. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. I mean, Kevin and I talked about it earlier this morning, but like the, the XM2010 is a tank and it's, there are lighter guns, there are potentially better guns, whatever, but it looks cool to me. So I'm drawn to that yeah. or whatever. So aesthetics for me and other people I know are, are huge. And then, yeah, okay. It, it's it functions well too. That's awesome. Yeah. I, th I think it's like anything. I mean, function can definitely probably gives you a, a wider window of a, allowment of aesthetics or something, you know, whether it be, I don't know, women or cars or guns or whatever, but yeah, typically there's no reason for something not to look aesthetically pleasing. It doesn't take a ton of effort. Um, but, but I think, you know, there's guys like you that can, can do both and can, definitely see the aesthetics and things and there's a lot of people now in our industry that are good at it and you know eric bird i bring him up a lot he's a guy that worked with me at advanced armament and worked at magpul and um reptilia now and he's never been involved in a product doesn't look good he's got a great eye for stuff um but yeah combining the things but working with mechanical engineers for a long time like ethan ethan's way better than he used to be but he is so just function oriented and it's like he's colorblind to anything aesthetically yep. like he, he can't 
he can't tell you if one thing looks better than the other. And so it's been a lot of effort for him and I'm proud of him. Like put in the effort to learn and understand, you know, from, you know, Eric Bird or, you know, guys like yourself and then studying products, you know, talking to him, well, well, you know, Ethan loves cars and motorcycles. It's like, well, can you not tell that the Ferrari is a beautiful car, yeah. you know, and, and stuff like this. So why does this look better than a Civic? <laughs> but you know, it would be like you or I going to mechanical engineering school. He basically has to study that all the time because it's just not natural to him. And, you know, so I tell him all the time, it's like, man, I mean, to me, he's one of the best engineers in our industry. Uh, and he could design something that's great, but yeah, if it doesn't feel right and it looks like shit, nobody's going to buy it. Like, yep. There is definitely a balance. Well, yeah, that first line is always sight. People are always yeah. seeing something, and that's what's yeah. going to draw them in. Like yeah. You could hear all these great things, but if it looks terrible, you're not going to go try it out. That's true. Yeah. Well, how, are, where are you from? I'm from Vermont. Vermont. Yeah, tiny little town in Vermont. Yeah, they're all tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shocker. We have one area code. Where, where, whereabouts <laughs> in, in Vermont? Uh, near Middlebury. So it's a tiny little uh, near Burlington, middle. Oh, okay. Kind of north. Between those. Yeah, 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 north. Yeah. North. Yeah. Yeah. Just before it got super winter, uh, my son and I went up there. There's a lot of great skate spots because what Burton snowboards is yep. up there and yeah, a lot be, of, a lot of cool stuff. A lot of my uh, professors or other classmates and stuff worked there at Burton and it's uh, it's a small oh, yeah. community. You know, Burton is so cool. That's, that's another company I would aspire to be like Burton has wooden, a wooden bowl, giant wooden skate bowl in the back of their building and an awesome mini ramp um that is free and anybody can come skate it and they built it and it's there and you just park in their parking lot and i know the day that uh my son and i went they were closed and you know but the gates open to the the mini ramp there were a couple guys that were employees there skating and then just locals um yeah what a what a cool company that that town's not man they got a great skate park there in burlington Oh yeah. Have you seen it? I have. I, yeah. I've never been a skater, but I've yeah. always admired them. I'm like, oh, that looks cool. I, I might try that, but I'm probably not going to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't at this age. Don't, don't yeah, try no. it. It's so scary. Um, so from Vermont, so you just went to school in mass. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I grew up in Vermont and then I ended up playing a year of junior hockey after uh, high school over in North Andover, mass. Yeah. And then after that, I got accepted to Wentworth Institute of Technology right in oh. Boston. And then yeah. Went there for four years. Yeah. Cool. You internship anywhere cool? I did. I interned at OpsCore actually. Twice. Oh, you, you were an intern oh, there. I knew you worked right. there at some point. I yeah. So I um, basically, I guess we'll backtrack a little bit, but I got into uh, the firearms industry, military industry, because I was medically disqualified. Hmm. And uh, partway through my uh, time in school, probably around year two, I was uh, really looking to serve and uh, join the military. And that didn't work out. And in doing so, I was like, all right, well, that sucks. What am I going to do? Because that passion to serve is still there. And I still love design. Like, I've always been enjoying this. Well, how can I put these two worlds together? And um, found out that there are a lot of uh, employees at OpsCore who have all went to Wentworth and uh, were alumni there and did internships there. And um, so I reached out and uh, got an interview and basically was like, hey, this is what my whole plan is. This is what I've been doing. I've been doing uh, precision shooting competitions. I've used your stuff before with... uh, PVS 14s or whatever. I was going to say OpsCore. Maybe, maybe explain what Ops. Oh yeah. Yeah. So OpsCore designs helmets for the military, um, primarily for SOCOM needs to be ergonomic. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so there's uh, a lot of cool factors there. I actually learned probably some of the most from, uh, like the designers there that I ever did. They, they were sold uh, a few years ago, weren't they? I knew Victoria. Yep. Did, Did Victoria wasn't 
Was she one of the owners? Yeah, she was. So I believe um, she sold the company with her and uh, her husband, maybe. Yeah, and they uh, it was picked up by Gentex because originally it was a company called Artemis, and they were the small little firm that did a lot of helmet designs for uh, like the NHL or for uh, NFL and other sports. Yeah. And then they integrated rails into the helmet systems and applied that and worked yeah. with the unit. And then they picked up from there. And then eventually yeah. Gentex bought them. Yeah. Are, are they, where are they? Are they in mass? So yeah, they're right in Seaport in Ooh. Boston. And then, uh, so they have got a few facilities. They have another facility in, um, that's actually not too far away. It's in Manchester in New Hampshire. Oh yeah. Manchester. And, uh, that's where they do all of their communication stuff. So all their helmet, uh, accessories for comms. Yeah. Maybe that's where I knew of. Yeah. It's a shame. Boston's such a cool city, but it really is. Oh my God. They've ruined it. It's like California. Like yeah. how great it is, but yeah. What people fuck did they, did they, did they, manufacture the amps like the off score amps like was that them or did was that just kind of their design and then yeah. yeah so originally it was the rack headset and then they did a redesign i actually got to work a little bit on the amp design a yeah. small component nothing. what is the amp so the amp is their new um like hearing protection uh headset oh. that they came out with but the cool thing about it is it's detachable from the headband so you can mount it to your helmet and they have arms for that Oh, so it doesn't forth. have to be a helmet where it's integrated for yep. the headband. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. See, well, these the, are great things you get people to think about. Yep. That, yeah, because, you know, you ask a soldier, he'd want a helmet that would accommodate, like, the ones he... Yeah. Well, the interesting problem came from was a lot of guys would take the headbands that they had from their Peltors, mm-hmm. and they would cut them off, and then they would mount them with whatever arms they could get. Yep. And then they'd go back in at whenever they had to check it into their uh, locker or whatever, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're going to get charged X amount of money because you damaged this, yeah. um, like, government issued product and they're like oh well i made it so i could use it in my job and i took the two things you gave me yeah. and made them work together yeah, yeah. and so opscore saw that problem they're like hey let's try to make this work and yeah. for a while it was like a big money thing to my knowledge that it just wasn't going through and then they changed some things around and uh one of my friends there really pushed it and then all of a sudden it came out and won a big contract for socom and it's been yeah it's been awesome yeah i think i mean that's probably where i met him but yeah a lot of cool stuff we used to do a lot of stuff at aacs when i met him yeah well the the cool thing about the amps too is that a lot of guys were running double ear pros they were doing the just the earplugs plus the over the ear when you do that it it eliminates the ability to necessarily hear around like with peltors whatever and these i i don't know how it works but there's a little amp i guess in the earplugs yeah you probably know be be quiet (laughs) so basically uh the amp headset has a two-piece system because they realized that a lot of guys would plug in foam ears but then they would just amplify the volume up to a higher degree and that's not really helping your hearing so they developed an nfmi technology which is basically near field magnetic induction so they're little magnets so you don't have to worry about guys hacking like bluetooth or anything like that there's no distance or anything it's a magnetic induction and it's actually transferring that information so you can basically wear this headset have double ear protection which brings to the decibel to an even crazier amount of protection um and now if your ear slips a little bit you don't have to worry about it coming like you're not going to lose your hearing or anything like that um, and then it's also transferring all that information. And so you're not having to worry about, uh, not hearing anything. You're not amping up the volume or anything like that. And you can actually hear everything that's going on. And it also works without batteries too, which is a cool factor because it's all through magnets. Yeah, that is cool. Now I have to buy some. Yeah. Good luck. You do? <laughs> no, I don't. But, it, but they, they sound expensive. They do. They certainly do. Um, they are. So, yeah. I, so I'm in the camp of, I had Peltors. I had yep. to hack them up and adapt them to my Team Wendy helmet. So that leads me into, I'm assuming you're an ops core end user, yes. biased, whatever the reason. Is it because it's better than 
other brands? Or I guess why is Opscore better than Team Wendy or any other major helmet provider? So yeah, I'm definitely biased because I got to work there and I know the team there. And that's yeah. something for me, like any company that I would ever promote or anything like that, I typically know people in that company and I really like those people and the product's also great. So that's like, it's always a double-edged uh, sword in that sense, if that makes sense. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so Opscore, like one of the things that really sets them apart is just the amount of testing they do in things. Um, they have a really great design team with engineers, industrial designers. So everything has a purpose. Nothing is on there for no reason whatsoever. I mean, down to the paint and how it's all done. Like the Kark paint has uh, materials in there that are supposed to help with infrared. Um, hmm. Like, Sounds like Q. Yep, 100%. And so like another reason why I wanted to uh, touch base with you guys years ago is because I was like, oh, cool. I see these guys appreciate good design and mm -hmm. they are detail oriented. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so Opscore is really great in the amount of testing they go. They they go to end's length mm -hmm. to uh, make sure guys are getting the best stuff and that it's going to function and just really adapt to the users, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, it is great when you when you have your origins at, you know, the, the tier one level where it's not like big army where it's always cost driven stuff you know like the 320 great gun good example you know the main focus once it was in the you know top five or six pistols is we have to beat glock's price mm -hmm. sick that was but when you start with those groups you get the opportunity to where uh to design where money is not the main driver it is yeah. how do we make these guys who we have tens of millions of dollars invested in that we trust with national security at the highest level to perform these jobs. What is it that they need that's going to help them to be as efficient as possible? Yeah. And you get you, to design that way. Yep. How do you increase their lethality and their survivability? Yeah. And you can't, and you just, you don't get it like, you know, chasing the lowest cost or, I mean, you, you got to put all the effort into the design mm -hmm. and that's what I always love because then it's, let's design the best thing and then let's figure out how to make it affordable for the commercial market. Yeah. You know, I know the, the silencers that we originally did, and I think there's some in the background here for uh, 338 for, for tier one, you know, the silencers were like $3,600 a piece for the first 500 or whatever. And we figured out how to make it less expensive for the commercial market. All right. So Edgar Sherman sling. So I hate, and I've said it a million times before, Uncle Mike's QD sling swivels. Yep. They're loud. They're gross. They're heavy. There is no published spec for them, so you build something on a freaking wing and a prayer like Bon Jovi, hoping it's going to stick in there and stay, which I've had them fail on me, and that's a real son of a bitch. And so when I met you, you showed me your sling. I didn't know you were. We met. You were doing a sling attached with paracord, which on the original Honey Badger, if you Google it, and I'm sure Thomas is going to post a picture up right now, it was we did not, because Ethan also hated them, for the very reason of there was no specification and tolerance range on how to make it to ensure that they always lock in and don't pull out or whatever. So the original Honey Badger, if you Google it, it's uh, paracord attached where we have the QD sling swivel. Now, after saying all that, we put it in the new gun um, right there. And so that was the idea for Ethan. He, on all the original guns, tied paracord front and back so guys could attach their slings to without having to use loud heavy ridiculous anyway so we're at Edgar Sherman that's what you do right yeah so I agree to that entirely I think uh for me personally I use paracord for just about everything I think the only time I wouldn't use paracord and I would use QD swivels is if it's kind of a flat range thing and you're moving one sling to numerous guns but yeah that's why I made slings cheap and 
$40, $45. So it's like, hey, you can outfit all of your guns with slings. Well, you know, when they told me you're coming to do the podcast, like I'm unpacking a lot of my gun collection now that I've moved from Georgia. And I went through, I have a whole sling tote. And I went through all the slings that I have, starting from like World War II all the way through. Like the, there's probably 100 slings in there. So getting even more modern things where we were testing stuff 10 years ago for this and how big and heavy they were. And there were some that were, you know, comfortable because they had elastic or they were wide and they had some kind of cushion in it. But then I, I'm looking at them all and it's like, holy shit, what is this? A sling for an M60? You know, it's, it's huge and it's heavy and I can't even figure out how to use some of them. So I loved your sling in the sense that it's, I mean, I think that's what you focus on. So I'll keep talking for you. Yeah, no, it's just super simple. I think that's, uh, everyone tries to overcomplicate things. They just try to add things for solutions. Just add, 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 and then just gets heavier and bulkier and just shittier. I mean, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that's that's what I think about a lot of gun design too. Before you know it, you've got an eight and a half pound, nine millimeter and carbine. It's like, well, that's useless. Metal buckles that then you have to hang stuff off the metal buckle to use the metal buckle. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's asinine to say the least. Um, yeah, so paracord for like jumping back to that. So paracord, I think, is one of the best tools just because uh, everyone has a plethora of it. Whether you are, if you're military, especially if you don't have paracord, then what are you doing? And um, so it's super cheap. It's affordable. It's lightweight. Uh, and it's super replaceable. Strong as hell. Yep. It's not loud. Yeah. Tolerance isn't a thing. Oh, all the great things. And 100%. So when I designed the sling, initially I uh, made all the attachments uh, to your rifle sewn in. So it was sewn in QD swivels, sewn in HK hooks, sewn in paracord. Um, oh, you did those originally? Originally, oh, and I, I was hand sewing all of that. But then the issue came into of like, hey, uh, if someone wants to change something up, then they can't. So maintenance is an issue there. If someone said that they wanted QD swivels to start and then one of the QD swivels breaks, now it has to be mailed back to me. I have to re-sew it. I have to put a new swivel in. Um, or if they just go, Hey, I actually don't like the swivels. I want to go to paracord. Then it's like, okay, you can either cut your sling and adjust it that way or send it back. And it was just a nightmare. So paracord to me, I think is one of the best options, but having customization is important. So all the slings are open-ended and they've got triglods in the end. So if you want to do paracord in the front and a QD swivel in the rear for some reason or whatever it is, you can adjust that. Um, but paracord, uh, was definitely the, the concept behind is like, Hey, let's designate something to this. Um, because you know it's going to be set up on this and you can get it perfect how you need it and keep it that way. And you're not going to have to have all this metal clanging around. You're not going to yeah. worry about moving parts like QD swivels. Yeah, you have how many little ball bearings in there? At least four. And then you have a whole spring system and all these other things. It's like, okay, what's going to fail here first? A really tied on, like tight knot that's been melted together in paracord or all of these little ball bearings and joints in this tiny little area that has no tolerance scale. No, it's, it reminds me like, I love the Harris bipod, but it's very eighties. Yep. You know, just the whole concept of it and the exposure and the springs, like all the stuff, there's a whole lot of parts in it. I like simple. And when a sling, especially, you know, and for me, you know, if you got a really heavy gun, that's ridiculous, maybe you need a padded sling. But I most of the time do not. I'm carrying a very light gun, and I want a sling that matches that, and I don't want it to rattle. Yeah, and yeah, I, I like the slings. What? Um, so, so I've seen it before. Where is that a, a proctor sling where the paracord goes around the handguard and stuff? Yeah. So when I jumped into the design side, uh, incorporating um, paracord, I looked at a lot of other companies, and Proctor has a uh, loop system. But the problem is that you can't really adjust it. 
you're set up yeah. with one fixed length of paracord. And so when I designed the SD sling, initially I created a sewn over folded loop. And so you could basically tie on the paracord, tuck in the knot and have it hidden. Yeah. That's where you showed me. And then, originally, I yeah, I switched it over to the open ended cause you can still do that exactly, but now you can adjust it. And if something goes wrong, you can fix it. Um, but yeah, having it so that you can tie it in to fit on any different gun is huge. So especially for military guys, like being able to set it up. So now, I can tie this on to whatever rail system I issued, or I can move it into any location of any of the M-Lock slots or Q-Cert slots or whatever it is. Now I can completely customize this and fit this to my needs and adapt it to me um, on any system. So you can take an ESD sling and you can take paracord and you can fit it on any, any weapon system that's out there because you're not locked into, hey, this doesn't have a QD swivel mount on it. Hey, this doesn't have a location for me to like hook this into for there's no loop here or whatever so it's like okay i can tie over the rail i can tie through the rail i can tie into the handguard i can tie to whatever well what's your current setup how do you recommend so i set up this honey badger just about in a similar way to how i have mine set up too um for my 12.3 with the uh, q rail um but you can either mount here close to the uh, handguard or you can mount further out obviously if you have a suppressor here and it's integrated into the rail you're not going to be putting something in the front end um, so I typically mount further out. I learned that from the guys at Ridgeline for a lot of precision shooting. So if you're doing yeah. tripod work mm -hmm. to be able to load that tripod. Um, so that kind of stuck with me. So I, I go back and forth in those two locations, but it's always a paracord loop, um, that I mount in either at the end of the rail or close to the handguard here, depending on reloads and or back at the receiver. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, those are the two mounting locations I do in the front for the rear section here. I've got it mounted through your QD swivel port here. Yeah. And um, so that's where I have it set up on the Honey Badger, just because if you're going to collapse the stock, now you can, um, you're not really adjusting that too much. It's staying in the same place. Um, for stowing the sling, I set it up so that way it's wrapped around behind here so it's nice and tight and there's not any extra webbing that's uh, dangling or anything like that. But for my personal ARs, I actually will tie a loop of paracord that goes through the QD swivels on the rear sections. Yeah. And it actually goes over the top. So basically, whenever I'm transitioning shoulders, my sling's actually going to adapt and sling oh, over. Oh, okay, so yeah. I'm never getting choked out by a sling or yeah. anything like that because it's always going to be moving over the top and working with me. Yeah. So again, it, adapting to me. I even like this for storage because it's one reason traditionally I would never keep slings on guns is storing them in my safe. Then you go and you pull one out, you pull six guns out, they all fall down. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's a huge issue, and that's where I designed the uh, elastic retainer in it because, one, you see a lot of military guys doing vehicle work, and they have to take a ranger band, and they just bunch up their sling on there, and they ranger just try band. to lock it in. Mm -hmm. And then you either break the ranger band to get it out, or it just causes a mess, and it's just a pain in the ass. And so it's just an, it's an inefficiency. There's an yeah. error there. Um, and then, but you still have fast adjustability with the sling. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so that was a big issue. So when I integrated the elastic to help kind of keep it all contained, uh, it was a factor for vehicle stuff It's a factor for storage. So if you're going to keep it in the back of your vehicle or in your safe, whatever, you're not dealing with this giant mess of a sling yeah. hanging everywhere and causing issues. Yeah. Um, and then it's still readily deployable. All you have to do is pull on it and it's going to open up. Um, so that was a huge factor. And the elastic yeah. actually has uh, two parts to it too. It actually acts as a regulator. So when you're adjusting the sling, it's going to help keep it flat and flush. So it's not going to be twisting and binding on you too. Oh, that's nice. So it was another little detail in there. Well, you, you developed this. You did this since I first met you? Yep. Yeah. So that's the ESD pull tab. So I ran into an issue with production where I was using another company's pull tab 
uh, for slings and they stopped manufacturing them and there were some design issues with it, but the manufacturing was the huge selling point for that. So I ended up going through and designing my own pull tab system, which you are uh, playing with right now. Yeah. So what are the factors in this ergonomically that are better than what you were using? So the shape of it is actually set up similar to like a charging handle and that it's not going to slide through your fingers. So if you guys are looking on camera, yeah. um, it's actually going to fit between my fingers here perfectly and stop. So I'm not going to run into issues now where if I'm grabbing on this pull tab that it's going to, my hands are going to slide over the, it. The original one you were using was just a circle, right? Complete circle. Round, yeah. And so you could easily slip over it. Whereas this, you're yeah. actually going to catch onto it. Uh, it's still got a hole in the center so you can do pinch techniques and stuff like that. So if you want to grab a more finite detail or whatever, or if you want to grow motor function you can still grab onto it and you have something um, and then to install it you fold it over itself just like the uh, prior designs but the nice thing is that this is great for zippers too yeah. for bags because you have a quick access point and because of the uh, material it's got some rigidity to it so you're going to get yeah. some consistency there yeah i told you i was just on, i just came back from a trip yesterday and on my arteryx bag broke one of the their cheap glued in pull tabs on it yeah so this will be going on there yeah, no, these these are great. I'm getting a bunch of other colors. We'll have to do some blue ones for you guys. Oh, and uh, thank you. So your original sling had sewn in ends. Yep. Sewn in ends uh, for whatever attachment method the person wanted to buy. It had the off-the-shelf pull tab. What else has changed since the first one you shipped to today? Yeah, so there's been a lot of little details. Um, so one of the other big things was just some dimensional stuff. So using human factors in design and understanding a lot of different body types, I've adjusted some of the rear section to increase some lengths and uh, give people more customization there. So we've got it. So there was, uh, I believe, this four foot ten, four foot eleven woman who was able to use a sling and get it completely set up for her. And then I've had uh, a nice Andre the Giant seven foot, like three hundred fifty pound person use it. So getting those dimensions tweaked a little bit was key. Um, same for the front section. So learning from the guys at Ridgeline, how they, uh, apply their weapon system around vehicles, they will actually use the front section of the sling to create a stability system. So that way they can put their hand on the vehicle and keep the sling locked in. They don't have to shoulder it perfectly. Yeah. So I increased the length there from the, some of their feedback so they can use those techniques. Cause it was a little bit too short in the front at first. Um, those were some of the main ones. And then the pull tab changed and then i'm actually applying a potentially new design too for the elastic because um right now the elastic's great and there's no issues with it but when you're inserting the rear section of the sling to stow it um, you don't really have anything to grab onto so i've created a new design that i've been exploring which is actually for the elastic to have basically a little handle on it so you can pull it up um, and that's just in how it's sewed and stuff too so it's it's constantly been changing i mean it's been three years of changing like and it's never it's been fun. Like, hey it's, this is the version two this is the version three to it's me like, it's it's always been the balance for me it, it's like running a business and feeding everyone that works for you by selling product and but my love is what what you're doing the innovation the constant improvement make it better 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 you know it, it's it, interesting in thinking about things it's like you know it's a sling like yep. in some ways who gives a shit in the other way you need one for every gun and every little improvement just makes it more usable, more comfortable. It makes it better, you know, cause I, I deal with it all the time, you, you know, whether it's like, uh, you know, tapers before the threads and it's something I learned along the way. And everybody, you didn't invent that. Like, <laughs> no shit, asshole. <laughs> it's like constant small improvements to make a better product. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I tell you, I'm going to retire the day we stop doing that, but developing the product in just constant, small improvements. Like I think Ethan and I throughout our careers have done a lot of 
minor improvements that sometimes build up into something better. But it's rare that you, especially with a metallic cartridge, we're dealing with fire, been around forever, you're going to invent something new. But the constant, especially when you talk about like the human form, like adapting to that to make things better. You know, I, I notice it right away. Like I saw one of, um, you know, to talk about us for a minute, the the uh, Honey Badger, I think, inspired a lot of guns the last 10 years. Absolutely. And, you know, I use it because it's lightweight, the ergonomics. It gives me everything I need for 90% of what I do. And it's the lightest thing, the most comfortable thing. But I saw like a, a Daniel Defense has like a bootleg new one that uses like the Maxim Defense stock. Saw it the other day. And instantly when I picked I thought, well, it kind of looks gross. But then I picked it up. It's like, holy shit, it weighs like a pound and a half more than our gun. Like, I don't care from there. I'm just out. I don't care how it feels. Like, mm-hmm. you know, seven or eight years of using this gun, and it weighs five pounds with a silencer. And it's just the ergonomics are great. Like, when I sling the gun, I don't even realize I have it. Like, I can ride a dirt bike with it. Like, I'm not increasing the weight by 30%. That's stupid. And so when I see new things come out like that, it, it's it's ridiculous. And a lot of people can't see it, but when you, yeah, the honey badger is just, just an AR. Your sling, it's just a sling. So what separates it? And you know, it's all the minor details. But just like the honey badger, what I'm hearing with your sling is every aspect of the sling, like paying attention to it, wanting it to be the best. How do I improve the way it attaches to the gun? How do I improve you know stowing the sling how do you improve the adjustability like all these things make the best product and it's not that you know edgar sherman's going to invent the first sling like who gives a shit it's like make the best sling that's what's important yeah the devil's in the details i mean yeah it's 100 percent true and i think one thing that people especially on the internet always miss out is that hands-on experience with things because it's hey what makes this better and we can show that through videos and we can explain that but half the time you just have to hold it it's like Oh yeah, this is way lighter. It's like okay, cool, but what does, what does weight really matter? And then you hold it, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> this I, I, is so much better. <laughs> I think I think about these things all the time. Whether it's it's like seeing the Grand Canyon and trying to explain someone to explain like what the Grand Canyon's like, or show them a picture. Like who cares? You see the Grand Canyon, you're impressed. Or like when you see your kid ride a bike for the first time, like how awesome that is. Yeah, and it's some of the things with the guns. It's like. Like, I, I don't know. It's interesting to me that the Honey Badger, the like the colorway kind of took off, even though for me I was very skeptical. But then it's like, okay, well, we'll try it. And it's interesting. But um, seeing these small things and, and, and explaining to people, like I can't tell you how much in a gun that size and that weight, a pound and a half, what a difference that makes. But go sling a gun for three days in a course or something, then you tell me how big of a difference that makes. Like, I was thinking this this weekend, you know, I was on a three-day hunt, and we were doing a lot of spot and stalk, and, you know, just, I mean, and I was in South Texas, not like it was a lot of mountains, and, but it was hot, we're walking like six hours a day, and how I was sitting there the whole time with that 8.6 gun that I was showing you earlier, and how I wished it had just a red dot on it. So I could have taken a pound off the freaking gun. Like I thought about it probably a hundred times. What's the rest of the year look look like for you? I mean, obviously people are wondering when everything's going to be in stock and things like that. Yeah. So we've uh, made some big changes in the production side of things. So we're, we're cranking slings out every day. So if there's anything that's out of stock, basically just go, there's a whole little sign up you can do and you can choose the color or whatever you want, put in your email address. You'll get an email for it. Um, you made a good trade today. I appreciate my sling. You're going to get a gun in return. 
I like that trade. That's so, a good yeah, trade. That's a good investment. That's a good trade. Bet you do. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, those are the options. But um, yeah, ESD. We're trying to finish up a bunch of projects. So I've got a dump pouch design that's in production right now. Awesome. And that should be out soon. I'm really excited about that one. And then I'm trying to finish up a plate carrier design. It's been a year and a half in development, and I'm really excited for that. Um, and then a bunch of other little small goodies and things like that. Camera straps should be done soon. We're working on those too. Those are in production. I did a uh, revamp of the original design. How's that different than a sling? Ask it, Adam. It's shorter. Okay. <laughs> well, God, Mr. Defensive over here. I don't know. So I, I can jump on that. Um, so basically, uh, the camera strap actually is what started a lot of this and a small component in that I created the quick adjust system um, for a camera strap originally because... Uh, I was curious about you getting into firearms. Yep. So I, because I was in Boston, so I'm not going to legally have anything there. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm taking photos all the time. Let's work on a camera strap. And then whenever I would get a chance, I'd go home and I'd train and I'd have firearms and I'd be able to do that. So you've been into firearms since you were younger in Vermont? Um, yeah. So I grew up with a very, very awesome, but super liberal family. So the guns were not something that were easy to get into the household. And it took a lot of work for me to do that and showing my responsibility and safety. And then, oh, so it was your own personal interest, not yeah. a family interest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So oh, we've yeah. had some family in the military, which is cool, but, um, my direct immediate family was not necessarily pro gun or really I hear interested you. in that. So that was, yeah, that was, it was difficult. Way. Yep. Yeah. But um, so I, I got really interested in precision shooting. So bolt action stuff was what got me into everything. And uh, the branch that I wanted to enlist in was um, Marine Corps for Force Recon or Scout Sniper. But, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was the, really the interest. But I just love precision shooting because the idea of uh, ballistics and being able to send something consistently uh, a ways away and with accuracy and be able to do that is pretty freaking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what kind of started a lot of it. But, uh, yeah, so the, the adjustment system was developed originally around a camera strap, but, um, oh, okay. and then the rifle sling and camera strap, there's a lot of similar components. So if you own yeah. like a rifle strap, you're going to understand like, oh, okay, cool. This is where this is. Um, and that you're going to have your major body adjustment and then you're going to have your quick adjust. So that way, if you need to increase length or whatever, you can do so. Um, one feature that I added for the camera strap, there's actually a small little loop that's going to be directly attached to the camera. Um, for your hand. So if you want to detach the rest of the sling or the strap from it, you can just have a hand loop and you can adjust that. And oh, that's cool. Your wrist yeah, and just yeah, your yeah. Hand. Um, and then you still have the functionality of the stowing features and things like that. But it's really just more, Hey, let's again, adapt this around the user and give them some yeah. capabilities they don't have. Cause a lot of camera straps out there are just like, Hey, here's a piece of webbing. You also brought me a foregrip for the honey badgers. I did. Yeah. So is that something that you sell or that's just something you, I do. Yeah. So those are in stock on the website, I believe too, or at least they were. Um, but this is the EFG, which is the enhanced foregrip. Originally, I was just going to go AFG, but apparently Magpul patented that or yeah. copyrighted it. So <laughs> that's <can't> taken. <laughs> yep, exactly. So uh, the concept behind this is I wanted to cre- create a really lightweight but ergonomic uh, grip for rails. And so I, I designed this with Human Center um, design and uh, understanding ergonomics there. So now when you're actually gripping this, your wrist isn't going to be put in a really uncomfortable position. You're going to actually gain a lot of torque on the gun and you're going to be able to really control it and have st- uh, stability. It's got a hook on the bottom, so when you're getting your grip, you basically have a stopping point, so you're going to build consistency there because yeah. consistency is key. 
Um, it's set up so you have some different grooves on here on the back side and on the front. So if you're shooting in weird positions, you have something that you can kind of grip on, have stability um, and consistency. It's set up to be actually the same width as almost all M-Lock systems here. So it's one, aesthetically very pleasing in that sense, but two, it gives you more contact area on your hand. So a lot of grips out there, they're very big and bulky and yeah. you're not really getting good. Yeah, yeah. I would not have let you put that on my gun if it were big and heavy and ugly. Yeah, exactly. This weighs 0.5 ounces, which is the lightest uh, on the market right now, to my knowledge. Oh, geez. that's a humble brag. Right there, <laughs> hey, it's going on. 0.5 awesome. ounces. What's cute is 0.5 ounces. <laughs> fucking sticker. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, yeah and it's, it's uh, great. They're uh, 3D printed too, which is cool because I think that's going to be the future of manufacturing for a lot of things. And so it's an SLS print. So basically, uh, in layman's terms, it's a giant powder, um, like a bed of powder. That's a, a nylon powder. And you take a laser and you melt that all together and then you reapply some of that powder over the top, melt it again. So all of the layers are all completely centered together and it's extremely durable. So you can smash this off a barricade and it's not going to break. And if it does break for some reason, it's actually going to tear versus fracture and shatter. So it'll actually hold its rigidity and structure. So if you do damage it, you don't, it's not rendered useless. Hmm. And you said those are in stock or you, they, they should be, should be. last yeah. I checked, they were, we put a few hundred of them in stock the other day. So cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm probably not going to break it. My usage. There's only been one that's been broken so far and it was because we were trying to remove a BCM rail off the gun and we were mm -hmm. taking a metal hammer and using the, uh, the, ha the grip basically as the hammering point stayed on the gun, even though it yeah, broke. And I, I think about winter stuff and we're working on a new project now. And, uh, the engineers asked me, you know, they told me like they're testing what they're going to do and asked me what I thought. And, you know, <laughs> that's all I think about now. I mean, what are we looking at? Like two feet of snow outside right now. Yeah. It's like, yeah, cold weather, I'm not so sure. We need to test that in some below freezing. <laughs> and that's, that's like all I think about now. Uh, okay, well, that's cool. What are the questions we got? Basically, it was a lot of the questions were just about stock. Um, people were asking uh, if you ever plan on doing a padded variant. Yeah, um, I get that question a lot. So there's Do, a do you need pad if it's ergonomic enough? Uh, so me, no, I, I personally think that pads on slings lead to more problems than they do good. So the reason being is I think it's a placebo for a lot of things. So if you take a backpack and you're going to go ruck for three, four days on your hiking trip and you've got, I don't know, hundred pounds in that, um, that's going to be a nice area where you want a thick, juicy pad. That's pretty stiff and it's going to spread some of that weight out and just take some of that pressure off you. And it makes a lot of sense for that, but that's static. It's not moving anywhere. Um, the second that you start to add movement to it, like if you had a three inch pad on your neck and it was constantly moving, it's going to add a lot of surface area and it's going to create a lot of tear and discomfort and you're just not going to be, it's not going to be enjoyable. Yeah. Um, so rifle sling specifically, like for the most part, guys are doing dynamic things. They're constantly moving, they're transitioning, they're climbing up things with them. Um, or if you're hunting, like you might have a stationary in your back, but it's going to be moving slightly when you're moving. Uh, around and you're going through the hike in the woods or whatever it is. So if you have a giant pad there and it's constantly moving, creating more friction and surface area, it's going to ride up higher into your neck because it's going to go to the path of least resistance. So it's going to be up higher, which is going to cause more wear and tear there. Um, and it's just going to slow you down for transitions. It's going to create more friction and resistance and it just leads to a lot of discomfort because it's moving. So for me, I think pads on slings uh, don't make sense unless it's a really heavy system. If it's a heavy system that's not moving a lot, it makes absolute sense. The problem with uh, our market is that you have to work for the lowest common denominator for a lot of things. And it's, hey, if I create a pad design that's going to work and it's going to help solve all these problems for heavy guns, people are going to still put it on their five pound ARs. 
and it's going to like, I can't release something that's going to cause more issues and take away from the uh, functionality yeah. of the current design. I think it makes sense for really heavy systems and I've, I'm working on something that I think will be a workaround, but I just need to make sure that if it is applied to light ARs, that it's not going to cause issues. And that's why it's taken a while. Cause I'm like, I'm trying to solve a problem that kind of shouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, not to digress completely, but you got a little testing with 8.6 done recently. Oh my God. That's so much success. Yeah. So I was just, well, I was telling you, I was with the guns in uh, South Texas. So yeah, I shot, um, two white tail, two pigs, three nil guy, and, uh, got video of most of it. I saw the most horrific John Woo, Jackie Chan, um, John Wick. I, I don't know, what's that other movie? The Matrix that he did? Ooh, yeah. Like, I've shot a lot of animals. The first thing I shot with 8.6, and this was with uh, the Fix 12.5-inch barrel, 210-grain Barnes bullet, 2,000 feet a second out of a 12.5-inch barrel. Uh, I shot a white tail. And it did a flip, basically, like in the Matrix when I shot it. It's the most horrific wound I've ever seen on an animal. And it was the very first thing I shot when I was there. So, yeah, we had we had a great time. So, um, and one of the most impressive. So, Neil Guy, generally a, a mature male. It's a, it, it's a giant antelope, which I think was popped up on the screen in our last yes, podcast. Maybe we put another one up there. It looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his heyday. Um huge durable animals one of the most durable animals i've ever hunted ever shot and mature one is uh 500 to 650 pounds i shot with a 12 and a half inch barrel 225 meters so i don't know what that is 238 yards or so um behind the shoulder an incredible impact it went 60 yards and was dead one shot um and you generally have to hunt those with 300 remington ultra mag 300 wind mag like they make you hunt typically with big calibers and this was a tiny tiny lightweight gun that weighed just over five pounds um i'm super impressed so i've killed a bunch of stuff with it now yeah so stakes for everybody yeah um how was tracking that round when you you took your shot how was it tracking the animal through the scope uh, when you took that, because like I know six five well, Creedmoor has been so you. great because you can you can watch the round in flight for a lot of cases, but when you get into the heavier rounds, oh. are you saying as far as like recoil or the, yeah, the actual is, like how's the trace? I was anticipating a lot of recoil with this. It was not because you can see I had the big butt pad on it, Ooh. so I was anticipating recoil. No, I watched the impact, the animal, and also have a video of it, which we'll probably post. Um, I mean, I don't know. I was only on three or four power when I shot. So I was using this little pole Mark eight, uh, one to eight. And I had it zoomed out and I saw the impact, but 225 yards, I mean, 2000 feet a second. I mean, it was, you know, basically point of aim from where I'd zeroed. Um, I mean, I aimed a few inches over where, cause I, you know, I had a shorter zero than that, but 225 meters. Um, but it's so quiet. So, the silencer, so this is the pork chop, the full size one, so we're going to have a short and a long. Um, I was suspicious. But going back to what I was telling you guys, when we developed the silencers for 338 for the silencers we did at Advanced Armament, 
for some of the tier one groups, the first Titan silencer I ever shot, I was amazed at how quiet it was. It was a lot of volume. It was a slant baffle design, like all these things. But it suppressed. It was quieter than any 308 suppressed I'd ever heard. And this was the same way. I, When I went there and confirmed zero, I actually texted Ethan asking him muzzle velocity because it seemed like it was almost subsonic ammo. The sound-wise, it was incredible, quieter than any supersonic rifle, any other supersonic rifle that I have. So sound was great. Recoil management was great. It was nothing. And this is a hot load, a 210, 2,000 feet a second out of a 12-inch barrel. And um, the, the audible impact on the animal was incredible. I mean, it sounded like, you know, you hit a pumpkin with a sledgehammer. And anybody that's ever hunted Neil Guy or, or seen that, um, I mean, you shoot them with a 300 wind mag with a 26-inch barrel and end up making a decent shot and tracking them 500 yards. This thing, 60 yards, was piled up, dead, um, 598 pounds. And that's probably after it lost, you know, 10 liters of blood. Um, it was a giant animal. The gun worked great. The cartridge, I mean, I, I had pretty high expectations better than I was anticipating. You are not making multiple shots on an animal with this if you make a reasonable shot. Um, so I'm excited, you know, my next hunt, hopefully I'm gonna get to test out the subsonic expanding bullets on some animals. But um, yeah, I loved it. What's the twist we decided on? Oh, the one in three twist was great. So um, this was, um, the gun was a one in three. Um, so it's it's screaming. So uh, I don't know the kinetic energy that you're putting on target with that bullet, with that muzzle, linear velocity plus the rotational velocity. It's like I shot it with a 338 Lapua Magnum in a five pound gun. So yeah, that's crazy. badass. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So pretty exciting things happening. Yeah, but you know now we're in you know COVID zombie land and you can't get ammo produced or yeah. That's that's what I was saying when we were changing out some stuff here is like people want to know if you have stuff in stock like in this environment if stuff's in stock is probably generally stuff you don't want like all firearm stuff selling out i don't know every time i ask you about slings you're behind and back ordered so. <laughs> yeah we're finally getting ahead of that kind yeah. of it's tough it's tough but i don't know you ever want to be in stock like maybe i don't know it's a sign that you're really good at manufacturing or not great at design i'm not sure it's the way i look at it do you hunt I, I haven't been hunting yet, actually. No, never? It, no. Like, I think I shot at a squirrel maybe once. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I've got a few friends that are trying to take me, and I'm, mm. I'm down to try it out. Yeah. That's good. You eat meat? Yeah. 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 Somebody kills it. Might yeah. as well be you. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. I'm excited. I, I mean, I was actually hoping to shoot more Neil guy. Um, it's kind of late in the season for the ranch where we were, and he's had people down every weekend. It was skittish, but... You know, I, I did some management of whitetail for him. We shot some pigs. We did some other stuff. But I shot three, so hopefully we're going to feed we're going to feed the office. But if you have an opportunity, it's an interesting thing. Um, like going out hunting, seeing animals in the wild, it's so much fun. Especially, um, you know, like I love seeing big mammals, hunting big mammals. Um, yeah, squirrels are okay, but at least the testing and the guns are going good. And now, you know, we've, uh, shot a lot of stuff, you know, um, you know, so proof of concept, 
with the ammo and the fast twist and and all the stuff that Ethan was excited about that uh, he's been working on, and we see it on target now. It's exciting. What else? Are we done with questions? Did we oh, answer any questions? Yeah, we did answer some questions. Answered, I think yeah. one of one of the questions that I saw that was interesting was uh, for both of you, but I think people want to ask you, are there any any tools that you learned through industrial engineering, industrial design that you think are neglected in this industry um, that you very much try to try to cover? I think you've spoken on it a little bit, but... Tools as in like, hey, this is a tool or No, I just think concepts maybe or... Other than the human center design. Right, yeah. human centipede. I mean, <laughs> well, like one of the biggest disconnects. Have you seen that, that movie, Kevin? <laughs> no, but I've heard about it. Not interested. You got a video link for Freaking that? Weird. It'll be weird in the show knows. notes. Yeah. <laughs> First sponsor. Um, one of the biggest disconnects that I just see in the industry is the relationship between uh, companies, whether they're engineers, designers, whatever, and um, shooters and training and doing those together. Like a lot of companies out there, they might be shooters, but it's like, hey, let's go plink at the range or something like that. But you don't see many companies that'll actually go and test the stuff themselves and go and shoot this. Like you'll talk to an engineer and it's like, oh, hey, how did the testing go of that? And they're like, I don't know. I handed it off to this person. They did that for me. Whereas like talking to you guys and then just myself, it's like, all right, cool. I've learned a lot about my own skills and about uh, different problems that are faced in the industry for equipment by testing things myself and understanding that and then looking at it from the designer perspective of, hey, what are the problems I'm facing here? Um, and eliminating variables here is a huge one. And that actually kind of transitions to another question that I had for you guys is when you designed this 8.6, how did you eliminate variables to try to know what things were good and what things were bad? Because for me, whenever problem solving, I'll go, hey, what's going on here? What are all the different issues? And let's start to check off things that I know I can eliminate as an issue or a variable to that. Oh, for well, for us 8.6, was, you know, it's, Tier 1 originally brought us 300 Whisper, which we developed 300 Blackout. And in solving those problems, you know, instantly we wanted to do something for like SR-25 base guns, a short action 308 size thing. And we started with 338 Federal um, years ago. Uh, but, I mean, you're right. It's variables and eliminating the issues. So with 338, for instance, Federal, with great cartridge. Inside 300 meters, it's far superior to 308. The problem is if you want to load big, long, heavy bullets into a 338 Federal um, shell, it's too long to fit in an SR-25 magazine. So, you know, it's the same thing with 260 and 65 Creedmoor. Like 65 Creedmoor became successful because as bullets got bigger, longer, heavier, the 260 case, the shell, you couldn't load uh, a long 6.5 bullet in it and it fit in a short action. So just shrunk the case, made it more efficient. And so that was one thing we did here. I mean, there's not a lot of new here. Um, with 8.6, it was what went right with 300 Blackout. It's designed for a short barrel. And that's great because, um, you know, for the military, barrels seem to be getting shorter. We fight in urban environments, stuff like that. Um, we want it to cycle in a gas gun, super and subsonic. So we have to have a case length that accommodates big, long, heavy subsonic bullets. And it'll still fit in a magazine. You know, you want super and subsonic expanding. Uh, what we realized, we didn't do everything ahead of time with 300 Blackout because we just couldn't foresee all the issues. We didn't know it was going to blow up like it did. 
if we could do it, we would have gone faster twist earlier. And then some of the stuff that was adopted, um, we could have had the subsonic bullets be more effective having a faster twist, but they adopted a bullet and then we had to, we couldn't spin the bullet too fast because it come apart out of the muzzle. So we stopped at one and five. Well, controlling it from the beginning and knowing that we could get a lot more energy and better accuracy with subsonic, we did fast twist barrels for eight, six. And so we're doing that from the beginning. So it's a one and three twist. And so we're able to get a lot more kinetic energy by spinning the bullet fast because we're limited in linear velocity, but we can get rotational velocity. Um, I don't know. I think it's all these things. It's like we want to work in a gas gun. We want to only change the barrel. And you just start going through that whole process. Well, it almost sounds like you guys started with the magazines too, because it's kind of, hey, guys going to be able to use this. So what are you, what's the base source of feed? Okay. Magazine. All right. I mean, that's with any gun or any design. I mean, to me, because as people ask me, and I'm so sick of, like, you talk about Jay, these questions, half the questions, I just want to slap people. It's like, oh, well, 375 Raptor is better. (laughs) Okay. Well, what the fuck's better mean? They, it means they have it. And yeah. yeah, exactly. You hand load it. You've yeah. got it. You form brass. You shoot it out of a bolt gun. Yeah. It's like shoot it out of a bolt gun, shoot it out of an AR, non-adjustable gas block, super subsonic, have it feed reliably, full magazine capacity. So many variables. Uh, like, right come there. holler at me. I mean, mm-hmm. barrel change only. Don't change the bolt. Like, I mean, that's all this is. 300 blackout. Part of the beauty of that is just a barrel change. 8.6 blackout. Just a barrel change. Yeah. You don't have to do all this other stuff. 300 blackout, I will say, is not the best 30 caliber round. It's not the best round out of an AR if you're shooting far or like what is the thing you're trying to do? You know, for us, it was a shorter range, compact gun, the power of an AK-47, as quiet as an MP5 SD with subsonic that you could feed through an AR. Because that's part of this thing when people ask me about Wildcat, like whether it's 458 SOCOM or 375 Raptor, even 6.8. Like rounds that are very good when you just look on paper, very good. Like terminal ballistics, like your BC, all these things are good. Okay, what's your delivery system? Like, I don't know. What are you shooting it from? What gun? You want a bolt gun? You got a single shot? Oh, you got a magazine fed? You got a gas gun? How are you going to do that? It's all these things. So for me, am I, am I trying to do the best thing? I'm trying to do the best thing for what we think is important, which I want something that has – um can give the military an additional capability that they don't have in some weapon systems that they currently inventory. And it can be a commercial success and not be too foreign. Nobody has to buy a $7,000 gun. If you've got a gas gun in 308, it's a barrel change. You know, if you've got a bolt gun, a Remington 700, or if you want to buy our guns, we have guns available and it can do all of these things. Um, you don't have to change the bolt. You don't have limited magazine capacity or, you know, not great reliability. You know, when you open the bolt face up on an AR, it gets super weak. It was designed for five, five, six. Um, you know, when you open it up for these other cartridges, even six, five Grendel, which I love, like you're greatly affecting the longevity of that weapon. Cause you're reducing, um, you know, the bolt face of the gun. So you're making it weak. You're going to break lugs eventually, you know, probably 10 times, 20 times earlier than you're going to on a five, five, six. So it's a combination of all these things and having actual engineers, not someone that can just develop when you're looking at it. So with such blinders on and I want something that's better at killing at this range, that's great. And it probably does, but 
again, what's the delivery system? You got to feed it in that delivery system. Mm-hmm. And what's the mass market to it? Like, I don't. I think there's a weird zeitgeist with the entire industry in general. And even you may see it with the people asking about pads on the slings and everything like that. There's this idea that people seem to want one thing that will do everything. Whereas like the honey badger was purpose, purpose built. Like it was designed to do a certain thing and it does it very well. And it can also do other things, but I feel like you see it with the, these hybrid cans that can, you can shoot 22. That's ridiculous. I just, I feel like why not get the best thing in that category? I know it's not necessarily achievable. I can't just go buy the best gun for this, this, and this. Well, but at least aim to it. It's the Swiss think, Army knife effect. People right. just want to have one tool that does everything, but that's just not possible because well, you have one tool that does everything yeah. moderately right. okay. If you yeah, this, you're right. The Swiss Army knife. Uh, but, you know, I think there's pros and cons because I can say that, but then this is also a huge compromise. Sure. Um, but it is covering so many things. Like, to me, this is a Swiss Army knife. If I want something that's just going to kill something the best at 100 yards and I'm only going to shoot one shot, that changes everything. You know, and, and for our company, I'm generally in charge of deciding what's our priority list and what are we trying to achieve. And, you know, I balance that with military and commercial. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I love the Lamborghinis and Ferraris, but it's not practical for taking my kids snowboarding or going to the grocery store or anything else. And you can have those things. And to me, trying to build utility products now that cover the widest range of things practically that you're going to do. I always look at those like a range. You can create like modular is always better is what a lot of people will say, but there's always a limit to that. Well, you you think there are people who are very into modular, but a lot of times you see within our industry and I'm sure it's all industries. Oh, you know, BC is the most important. Like the tightest group is the most important the weight of the gun, you know, people that are just, um, I mean, what are the other things? Like people get hung up on one aspect of something and that's great, but you know, it's like PSR, every asshole that shoots PSR and and that PSR is awesome and it's incredible. And there's so many guys that can shoot in that, but that is one thing you're doing. I do not care about a 25 pound six, five Creedmoor gun. It's like just useless to me. So there, there's things we can learn from that, but when people get hung up on one aspect of something that, you know, it t- there's a hundred variables, you're never going to develop a, a product that can be successful, that can sustain a company or feed lots of families and deliver something that's useful to everyone. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, like diving back to slings for a second, like I mean, pads, because a lot of people are always looking for that. And maybe on a flat range, if you're just kind of static, you're walking around, you don't necessarily move a lot or something like that. It might make sense where you're like, I want this. But the second you start climbing up buildings and having to move and transition and do all that other stuff, it doesn't make sense. And a lot of times people will kind of focus on that one little detail and be like, oh, I need this for me. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense to a degree. But then you have to look at the bigger picture of, oh, hey, does it make sense for the company or for all the other users or all these other jobs? Well, just an individual in general. I mean, okay, you're going to shoot a class that's going to be, let's say it's going to be a basic carving class. I, I don't know what all the classes. Basic carving class, you're going to shoot all during the day. And you got these guys that have a maul on their gun because it looks cool. And they got a light on their gun. And they've got two pounds of shit on their gun that they don't need. Backup iron sights or, or, or whatever the thing is. Like, take all that shit off your gun. Maybe you don't need a pad on your sling. Like, you, you know, you, you could do that because... You know, for me, I've got an upper for my honey badger, which you were holding for 
That is my basic, what I want on my gun. And then I've got an upper, um, that has a low powered variable on it. And I've got a flashlight that I can move between the two and a green light. Like I don't keep extra stuff on my gun. I want it lightweight. And then I don't have to have a pad on my sling too, which is great. To answer your question, Edgar, or comment, whatever it was about eight, six, I think in, in like the shortest sentence, it's just a culmination of years of lessons learned. Yeah. I, I mean, and it, it's so great because I had somebody yesterday social media me. Oh, it's, you know, 338 whisper. You've done nothing original. Like, number one, I didn't set out to be fucking original. I set out to be successful. Number two. Okay, asshole. This is for, this is a 308 base cartridge. Mm-hmm. And 338 whisper was to go in an ar it was subsonic only this doesn't go in an ar-15 it's not based on a 221 fireball case or 223 case based on a 308 case which we ended up using 65 creed more shortened up um yeah and it's just like what you said it's like i don't have the brain to go and invent a lot of new original things but the culmination of lots of experience and what's practical and what do you know and for me when i'm working with the military what do they need what are they trying to do? And does that overlap with our commercial market or hunting? Cause I'm super into hunting now, but you know, a lot of the groups and a lot of things I want to do, anytime they ask me to do anything, I want to do it because I want to support our military and especially those guys that are actually really every day going in harm's way multiple times a day, actually killing bad guys. I want to do everything for them. And there's a lot of overlap with killing animals. Yeah. And so, you know, let's, let's think about it in that way. What can we do? And we can pour extra resource and effort and time and energy into it. And not to do, you know, build 500 of something, but how do we make it something successful for the commercial market? And, um, you know, those are my goals. And, and, and like you, like how do we improve every aspect of something? Like I don't know a lot of times how to explain our products and even the fix, like what category that's created. I don't know. Or the sugar weasel, our inexpensive honey badger. Um, I don't know, but we have this little compact gun where all the things that are important to most people on the gun, we're doing better than everyone else. And it's a pound, a pound and a half lighter than every other gun in the industry. You know, I I don't know. Like you want a fast twist barrel. If you buy a Daniel Defense little PDW with a one and eight twist, you're getting robbed. Um, yeah, but they said they did the research and one in, one <laughs> yeah, in five. Yeah, we did that. One in five isn't as accurate. Yeah, bullets <laughs> explode midair, like all this dumb shit. Yeah. Um, I mean, they'll all catch up. Everybody will eventually do fast twists. Everybody will do tapered muzzle. I mean, these aren't things that like, like we invented. Um, you know, machine tapers. There's a reason that every machine that makes everything that's precision uses tapers because it's correct. That's a good point right there, too, is that a lot of people in the firearms industry only stay within that industry in that circle, and they don't yeah. take any inspiration from things outside of that. Dumb. And I think that's the, the biggest mistake. Because, I, I mean, uh, I studied abroad in Germany for a while, and when I was doing that, I got to go to a BMW and see how they'd manufacture. And one of the coolest things for me there is that I saw that they would take one body of a car and they'd cut out left and right steering wheel columns. So they basically set it up so they could set up one body universally in their manufacturing and adapt it to whatever country it's going to. And that just saved them tons of time in production and it was just way cleaner and more efficient. And so I looked at that and I had already done that when I was at Ops Corps for one project where I had to basically take a design that would overlap and work left or right side 
um, and create a one like uniform piece that could be just kind of cut out or whatever and um, work for both sides. And it was like, oh, cool. Like, well, yeah, so manufacturing there or just seeing those other things like from the outside, it's like, oh, why would I stick to just looking at this community and not go to all these other things? Because, I mean, the firearms community, there's a lot of money and a lot of research and time into it. But like, how is that like, I mean, look how much money Apple puts into things. Like, oh, yeah, not money, like, the firearms, BMW. not compared to Apple or BMW. No. And sometimes, though, the best thing for the customer is something that doesn't directly affect them. But. Uh, from a design standpoint, but you know, having a more universal manufacturing means you can produce more products. It means you get better at it because you're doing one thing. It's a higher quality. You can produce more volume so you can reach more people and, you know, and just for economics, then, then the price point can come down, which is, which Absolutely. is good for consumer. So, you know, like leading a company, whether it's, you know, me thinking about marketing and design or Adam thinking about the overall vision of the company, um, you know, it's a lot of factors, but what we don't want to do is what Jay mentioned earlier is just do like basic bullshit, universal stuff that doesn't do anything well. Yeah. Like I want our products to do everything well. I mean, it, and I want our niche stuff to cover as much ground as possible. That's where I think like the honey badger, even though it started out as a very niche thing, I use a gun regularly hunting. Um, and I use the honey badger a ton. You know, if it's short range and it's a, you know, 300 or lighter weight mammal, you know, 300 pound mammal or lighter, I generally use the, the honey badger um, and I use the fix. And I don't know what the fix is. You know, I know it's being copied a ton now, but it, it, it's a utility gun. It is a precision gun, but it's a lightweight gun that you can take, you know, on sheep hunts or it's just a utility gun that is legal in California, and it, it has AR ergonomics. It's got a great trigger. It's drop safe. You can mount night vision on it. Um, just, like, fold the stock. It's compact. Like, all these things that are great um, that I know I want for guns and are beneficial. But, you know, that goes against the grain of, like we said, like the PRS community who's, like, very vocal and, you know, it's not that many people. But, yeah, they've got, like, a huge voice and... Well, but what you're saying too, the idea of that the honey badger started as a kind of a niche thing. And then it's like you said, you are able to expand and do other things with it, but you also don't try to push it where it doesn't belong. Like you're not no. shooting it at steel at 600 yards. Like it needs to do this. needs to do that. Like you have guns to do that. I'm sure you can. Well, yeah, I do it. But I think in terms of like when we went to SIG and Adam worked a lot on the MCX as well and the MCX being a great gun for one thing, but I think they got kind of too hung up the MCX ended up too heavy and it had some compromises in trying to do something, especially with the military, which I don't know if you encounter a lot with slings, but, oh, it needs to last a quarter of a million rounds or a million, like all this dumb shit that it doesn't need to do. You know, I mean, I think the MCX, the first guns were incredible um, and they were very good for this one thing, but practical overall when the gun weighs eight pounds, I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking about that with the 8.6 earlier and with the MCX originally, you know, we stayed within the envelope of the military requirement. So we met the weight requirement. It was generous. Yeah. Right? So with 8.6, we're doing that because we want to do it and we're doing it the way we want to do it. Yeah. With the magazine that we want to use, uh, we are, we learned the, uh, the feeding issues with the 300 blackout and yeah. AR magazines because the O-Jive we learned about the fast twist. Uh, you know, 300 Blackout started with, was it 1 and 8 when you first did 1 and 8, yeah. Went down to 1 and 7, and then now it's down to 1 and 5. Um, so 
we're, it, we're able to do what we want with the eight six, and then we're able to tell the military, "Hey, here's what you want." Yeah, with this MCX, it was the opposite. Well, you know, I've told the story about the MCX before, and when it was basically a sole source for the honey badge for me at advanced armament before I was thrown out. I had such a working relationship with them. They gave the requirement, but it was kind of, okay, hey, we really want it to weigh, can we make it weigh five pounds? Mm -hmm. You know, this, and to me, that was the goal, but they were going to allow all this other stuff. But, you know, once it opened up and everybody else got involved and there's 12 or 14 companies or whatever, then they had to adhere to this requirement. And I remember, because I've told the story, they came to me and wanted me and I went to SIG and to Robert Hurt who was in charge of it at the time and who I think you worked for. Mm-hmm. And they said, Hey, we really like the SIG. We really like the MCX, but the thing is, you know, it's mm-hmm. a cow. It's way too heavy. And I go to Robert, you know, and they're, they're back channeling to some degree. Um, and you know, SIG and they already knew SIG was the winner in the downslope because it came down to the honey badger in it. And they wanted mm-hmm. the MCX for a lot of great features and stuff at the gun. Um, but they said, they asked me if I could go to Robert and mm. tell him to lighten the gun up. And I did. And, you know, Robert being the German that he is, it's just like, tell him to change the requirement. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so the MCX ends up being very heavy mm-hmm. and ends up not being the real intended use. And when it's the weight of a 308 rifle, how's it going to become widespread? Like I knew when we did the honey badger, the army, big army was considering a PD, PDW program. And I think the reason they just selected that stupid BNT nine millimeter was because that that never went anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the MCX isn't a PDW compact gun; it's the weight of a three hundred eight. It's a great gun, but it's very specialized. Where to me, the Honey Badger was simple, lightweight nine millimeter. But oh, it shoots three hundred blackout, and you can shoot somebody three hundred meters away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the de- big deciding factor back then during the selection was just the the twist rate. I think was the the deciding factor the mcx was the one in five at the time which we all know yeah. now is the superior twist rate honey, yeah. ba- honey badger at the time was more reliable so that was the deciding factor they chose accuracy over reliability is it? which is weird to me that's I, mean, also, I, I get both but well that's also well it was thing. also quieter yeah the the mcx was quieter well, um fucking silencer was huge <laughs> that <laughs> handguard is that's the, most of the weight that fucking handguard is so big it's yeah. ginormous yeah. yeah but you know they also didn't have any faith in remington yeah at the time but it is interesting that the honey badger's impingement was more reliable than mm-hmm. the mcx four yeah. times more reliable if you saw the feed on the mcx that we submitted we we put a dremel to those to make them feed <laughs> <laughs> well that's a thing that's not a, good that's a common thing that you see when people are trying to to stand one company and put down the honey badgers like well, MCX is more reliable. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. Actually, not not <laughs> well, even to according to the guys that adopted <laughs> yeah. it. Well. Actually, it's four times four times less reliable. Yeah, but those fucking one ten Barnes bullets straight up to the top of the yeah uh, the top of the chamber. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah, when you make those bullets do this, mm-hmm. it's usually not good for reliability. Yeah, but it was accurate. Yeah, yeah, it, it mm-hmm. was it was more accurate, faster twist, mm-hmm. and it was quieter because mm-hmm. of the silence. I mean folding stock i don't know yeah the folding stock is great i mean yeah. but the mcx like i i don't know i've got one of the original ish guns and and you probably do too and it's great but now that i have the honey badger it's it's like i love that gun mm-hmm. and and you were involved in it i was involved in it mm-hmm. and when it came to the down select and i remember when it was selected ethan and i going to lunch and we didn't know like whether to be happy or sad know. you know because yeah. it's like our two kids like competed against each other um but 
I mean, I know what I use today, and it's, you know, I love that MCX, but I don't use it because it's too big and it's too heavy. Right. But but I think we could probably combine the two and make it great. Yeah, it's a it's a Put cool it on gun. the list. I mean, mm. Garantham just dropped a video of him doing it, and oh, I thought it was yeah. awesome to see a Q silencer on it. I think yeah. Oh, did it? Gonna, what did it have on it? Uh, I think it's a half Nelson. I was going to say, it's either, I think it's a half Nelson or a full Nelson. He had a rattler that's some custom. I don't know about all this custom shit, but it had some fancy paint job, and it's custom. And his videos are great. Mm. I think Garantham does a great absolute great fucking job out of all the gun geeks mm-hmm. go air force is he air force tech p here oh, we I go again oh, i don't know i thought, See, he, I thought all he, the greatest guys just seem to be in the air force what happened to you that's a good how'd question. you get in <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> bring your idiot kid to work <laughs> i'm kidding you're awesome ish Ish. So, uh, yeah, but in his video, yeah, I think what I think he has a half. I don't know. He has a half Nelson. Yeah, it's or something. a direct thread. And, and the videos are great. God, I want to do some of the the uh, mystery science theater three thousand. Mm. But, but it's being a huge dick to him. But I don't know how to do it without being a dick to him. But I really respect and like what he does. And I'm not trying to be a dick. But there's a few things that are technically incorrect in there. But I mean, he covers so many things. How can you know all the stuff? Yeah. Like it, well, it, and it could be stuff that he was told. Like he may have been told misinformation. Oh, he definitely. But but the other little guy he has on there with the cute little curly thing. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, the army guy, yeah. Sean something. Yeah. So he says, "Oh well." Sus. He says, well, 300 blackout subsonic and 9 millimeter subsonic, you know, are the same velocity. So at 100 yards, the same energy. It's like, whoa, pump no. the brakes. <laughs> that's not no. how this works. Well, that's no, not how I, any of this works. It's, <laughs> it's twice the mass, asshole. It's yeah. not the same. Like, uh, but I mean, overall, the video. The <laughs> I video don't know if you great. know where I'm going with this. Where, Maybe. Are we, what? we asked a tyrant question oh. on the last podcast about can you shoot subsonic? Yeah. And I think you did say something along the lines. No, of but that's being just similar. That's pressure, though. Yeah. Not, well, that's this, I mean, guy, yeah, I mean, this guy was. They talk, have similarities. Yeah. But it sounds like this guy went off the rails. He's not. That, ki- he's talking about well, like kinetic energy. Garantham asked him about basically, with at about hundred yards, what kind of kinetic energy are you getting from these subsonic three hundreds? And he, I didn't, I don't know if he said subsonic nine mil or supersonic. Either way, but he said it's about the same as a nine mil, hmm. which. Yeah, I mean, he was basically Science saying. Is hard. I mean, they they said. <laughs> I mean, out of thirty minutes, and for me to watch a thirty-minute gun video, <laughs> my God, it's a great video. And they had he showed so many things I wouldn't have thought of showing. And when they backed up, sh- shot from like ten feet to one hundred and twenty meters, the sound at the target, like those were all great things. But they said um, a few things that were not right about the MCX. There were a couple things even about the MCX. But then also that talking about energy on target at 100 yards. Uh, and the guy knows more than most gun I was people. Say, in his defense, that guy's normally pretty good. He's very he's got a lot of good information on other guns. Yeah, there was a couple things. But great video. Talked about the sound. Showed the half Nelson. Talked about the taper, how important that was. You didn't have to use a fast attach silencer. Great info. Yeah. Um, and that was a big point a in the video of how quiet he's. They were loving. Listen to how quiet this gun is. I know, and that's our loud silencer. I was, was just saying, a lot of that is uh, arc. The half Nelson is underrated. That that's is why I. So yeah, that's why I got great one. Great silencer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just we just people. don't pimp it enough. It's not sexy like no. the trash pan, but it is. No, it's to not. me, it's a better silencer. I know it's got my got my dad on the box. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, it is great. Mm-hmm. Like using the cherry bomb if you have a tapered barrel rather than using 
the muzzle as a direct threat. It, it's just stupid. Use the half or full Nelson. Yeah. They are, but you know, the problem is, is like so many companies are so, you know, what's everyone else doing? And I don't know. You probably see it with the slings and stuff. Like it's probably, I don't know when we'll get people to stop using, uh, the QD sling swivels. Oh, it's going to be a while. Yeah, just because it's the state. Did you see we just changed it on our fixed rifle? I did not. No. Yeah, yeah. The stock is different. There's no Ooh. longer QD sling swivels. There's just a little place for you to wrap some paracord through. 86, that shit. Yeah, because yeah, I hate it, and I'm sick of it, and they're a pain in the ass. And we've had to get complete rifles back because people's slings wouldn't fit into the QD swivels and to change them out when they send their sling. And I'm like, this is stupid. So is it the rifle or the swivel here? I mean, probably both. I mean, we don't. <laughs> you just eat. don't know. We we have <laughs> to make don't. we have to make up the spec because Uncle Mike's is they're such assholes they don't provide it. So how do you know how to make something that's compatible with it? You know, and and they don't make a, a socket for our gun, which I would gladly buy from them. Oh yeah, if there's a socket that was 100 percent matched and you could just implement that, yeah, easy or just yeah. like a it, but available TDP that we could look at. Yeah. Yeah. Or just paracord. I mean, that, yeah. that, that, yeah. that might be the best. Well, well <laughs> jumped ahead a little bit there. But, you know, and then people, too, buying, like, QD sling swivels that are airsoft, and they don't realize I, I, oh, all yeah. the things. So, anyway, I was so sick of it that we just took them out, threw them away. The new stock um, just has a slot where you put paracord through. And we came up with a, is it called the Slingleberry? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slingleberry. <laughs> Which is a paracorded little QD socket cup that you can put into that if you want to use the stupid Uncle Mike's yeah. QD. But, yeah, the, so the new one, we reduced parts. We lightened the gun up. We made it mow better. And, uh, you know, screw Uncle Mike's. <laughs> I like it. Hell yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Screw Uncle Mike. That's yeah. the part you like. Yeah. I got yeah, yeah, a t-shirt for that. Do you have a silencer? I do not yet. I, what? I have, no, so I have one, but I need to fill out some paperwork for it. And then uh, I've got to order some others. What do you have? Uh, it's just a silencer. Or, uh, it's not a silencer. God, no. Um, it's a uh, it's okay if it is. SPS yeah. 30 cal. No, what is Who it? Who is SPS? Oh, Surefire? Surefire. Yeah, it's the yeah. Surefire oh. Mini. Direct Thread? Mini 2. No, no, no. Is it the SOCOM Mini? Yes, that. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's lying. I don't know all the things. What is that silencer? It's like the 5.56, the SOCOM, the R2 or whatever. No, it's just a little yeah, shorter. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's that. Just because yeah. everyone that I am friends with has that yeah, muzzle device. They mm-hmm. look cool. They're durable. They're fucking loud, though. Yeah, they're, it's, yeah it's not. You know, how they, you know how they won the contract? I do not, know. Because our um, SR5 silencer... Um, the flash hider went over the barrel slightly. And when you put it on the Mark 18 mod one or uh, whatever their Navy definition is or uh, name. Anyway, the handguard was longer and the silencer would hit it and wouldn't go on. But on the M4, beat it in every category. Sounds there you right. go. A little trivia. So the, the 1500 Mark 18s that are in the arsenal fucked up the whole contract for everyone. Now Surefire gets to pimp their SOCOM silencer. Which we did win the other three awards in that contract, by the way, and Surefire didn't, so suck it. <laughs> um, but good sign. I mean, yeah, yeah. they're cool. You have one sitting at a shop. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to get an FFL for I'm, your company? Yep, that's that's the next step. I yeah. just got to make sure I get approval from the uh, people that I rent from. And yeah. Then oh yeah, yeah. There, and then that's important. FFL and SOT. Yeah. Nice. All right. What's well, on need, the list? Need to get you some silencers. It, obviously, all our silencers. Obviously, you, get silencer. I mean, you have to say that. All you're of that here, stuff. But, I yeah. really, really want an MG42. Yeah. That's kind of the uh, the long term goal. Nice. Well, Damn you're it. a precision guy too. Do you have like a 
do you have a, a go-to rig? Um, so I used to always run, like I built up a Remington 700 and 308 and that was what I learned all shooting on. And, uh, now I have a six, five rig. I haven't even shot it yet cause I've just been so busy and I don't think I have much ammo of it, but, um, yeah, I really want to get like an AI. I want to get a fix at some point too, just to have that kind of different system. But, um, yeah, I, I love that side. I just haven't been able to touch on it for a while. Hmm. You do a lot of hmm. scope carbine up at Ridgeline. I have. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we want to get up there. Yeah, I want to take one of those classes. What is Ridgeline? Is that Tim O'Neill's? Ridgeline thing? Defense. Yeah, they're like across the street from Team O'Neill. Yep. Right? Yeah, they're they're up partnered Dalton, with them. New Hampshire. They have oh. a ton of land now, right? Is oh yeah, you can shoot the out moment? to a mile there. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I I ran my I ran my three hundred eight there, and I've run my yeah all of my gas guns, mm-hmm. everything, and it's it's awesome. Oh, yeah. let's set something up. Let's do something. Yeah. Invite Edgar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd love to take a class there. Seems fun. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that. I mean, Ethan's been wanting. Us do like Team O'Neill driving school for like ten years. Maybe we should do that. A couple mm-hmm. J turns. Yeah, we should do that. I mean, we we should really make that a thing this year. I probably even enjoy that more than the shooting. Yeah, we'll shoot. Probably be a lot more useful living up here. Jesus. Yeah, they've got some cool cool classes up there. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, what else? You're growing the company. Things are good. Yeah. You're wanting to do a dump pouch. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the, the funny thing with the dump pouch is I'm going to call it the sap bucket, a little uh, ode mm. to Vermont, a little yeah. maple syrup. But uh, I want to do two different ads for it. And uh, one would be. Oh, tell you me ever it's see, a super troopers thing. Uh, there's a little ode to that. So yeah. you guys have seen Step Brothers, right? Yeah. Um, familiar. You know the uh, you know the therapy scene or whatever where he uh, Will Ferrell comes in afterwards and he's like I've traveled 500 miles to plant my seed. Yeah, so oh, the, so, lumberjack. Yeah, yeah lumberjack. The, so I want to do daydreaming some, scene. 100. Yeah. percent So I want to do something similar to that and basically just like make the tree just like sploosh <laughs> and just <laughs> like because the the entire bottom of the dump pouch is mesh, mm-hmm. so it's meant to drain everything. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing anything in the sandy environment or you're doing maritime work, it'll all just get out of there. So I just want to do some sort of funny mm-hmm. comical like. I don't know, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, awesome. I like these stickers that you brought me. Oh, yeah. So. Letter Kenny homage. Yep. <laughs> Young and into everything. You know everything. I know everything. Do you I ever swear. work? You just like. <laughs> you hired the right guy. Oh. Yeah, all right. Just plays on his phone all day. <laughs> Doing, <laughs> yeah, promoting <laughs> Q. I've not seen an Instagram post today. Oh, I made one. Here. Don't worry. Oh, you did? I'm doing his job. I've been here. Oh, oh <laughs> man. Shots fired. I mean, I am not it's good at effort. working for a company, but what I do know is when the CEO starts doing your job. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he was sitting next to me when I did it, and I asked if I could do it. Thank you, Adam. Seems even worse. <laughs> Jay runs this shit. All right. We're well, fucked. Edgar, thanks for coming out. It's good seeing you. Yeah. yeah I mean, well. where, can so people, where can people find you? Tell us, um, tell you can find me to... on Instagram at Edgar Sherman Design or on my website at Edgar Sherman Design. That's kind of the two main points. Dot com. Yep. Dot com. All right. We'll, we'll put you in the show notes, all your links awesome. and everything. Yeah. Everybody that asks questions on Instagram, uh, ask better questions next time. Yeah. You, you can't end it with one those good were one. Bad. <laughs> ask the dumbest question that was asked. Okay. Ooh, that's a good way to do it. If your question didn't get answered, it's because it was not a good question. It sucked. Ah oh, man, I feel bad putting these people That's in the right. <laughs> no, You're is, not you're not saying their name and this is how no, we learn. Say their name so they know <laughs> to ask better questions next time. Uh, this is specifically to Edgar. Oh boy. Oh, uh right. why Edgar always gotta talk about my mom like that? And that was do you want me to say their name? You might not yeah, know. Yeah, say it, say it. That was from GP Dynamics. 
Oh, okay. I know exactly who that is. And it's because uh, their mom gives me butterfly kisses at night. Oh. Damn. Damn. <laughs> you hear that, GP Dynamics? <laughs>